What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. And in January of 2022, DeMontario Gibson was chased down by a white father and son and shot after dropping off a package in his job as a FedEx delivery driver. Joining us this morning to discuss our DeMontario Gibson. Good morning. Hey, good morning. How you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for holding. Sorry for the delay. And I believe we are also joined by your mother, Sharon McClendon. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. Oh, thank you both so much for for being on the show today. All right, Dean Ontario, I'm going to start with you. I don't know how many of my listeners are familiar with your case, so if you wouldn't mind walking us through the events of January 2022, what happened? All right, so January 24th, 2022 was the day that I was chased and shot at by two gentlemen from Brookhaven, Mississippi. I was basically... Delivering a pack and doing a normal day for me. I'm just doing the job that I always do. And, you know, for some reason this day in particular, these gentlemen chose to take a different course of action. But basically, the situation starts when I enter the neighborhood. It's around, like I said, it's a normal day for me. Uh, Usually, when I'm delivering, I deliver to two different cities or whatever. It's it's a Brookhaven, Mississippi, and Bogachetta, Mississippi. They're like right there beside each other. So I usually do Bogachetta first because it's more like rural. Then uh, Brookhaven, Brookhaven is rural also, but it's more rural than Brookhaven, so I try to get that out the way first. Then I usually do uh, the city part, like later in the day, around that time that I was out there, like seven, seven at night, you know, like five to seven. So I entered the neighborhood uh, in Brookhaven, looking for four seventeen Junior Trail, and uh, I guess I had accidentally put it in, put in my work device wrong. My work device was Leo. It usually like let us, we scan all our packages in with the Leo. We uh, get all our address, our information about where the package should be delivered, if the address is correct. But we have to type them in manually or use a map in order to kind of see where the location is. So that being said, sometimes we can type them in, you know, like make type of number or something like that. But I was looking, I was entering, I entered the neighborhood around 7:20, and I was looking for 4 uh, 27 Junior Trail. That's, that's the address I was looking for. So I'm riding through the neighborhood. I'm looking for this address, 427 Junior Trail, and I don't see it. So I think to myself, like, all right, maybe the house isn't on the street. Maybe it's an incorrect address because we get those sometimes. But if I'm leaving the neighborhood, I see 417 Junior Trail to the left to the left of me on the mailbox. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's the right address. Let me go back and check my device. So I go back and I check my device, and it's 417 Junior Trail. So I proceed to, like, um, enter, enter the, uh, the premises and go and deliver the package. As I'm delivering the package, like I literally didn't take probably two minutes, maybe maybe 30 seconds. I hop out the truck, put the package on the front door, and then I hop out the porch, put the package on the front door, and then I hop back in my truck. As I'm like in my truck, I'm basically pu- pulling up my next address that I'm about to deliver to. I noticed a white truck, a white pickup truck coming from a different house on the same side of land. So I'm thinking they just like trying to leave the house, you know, go go to the store or something. Maybe it's like it's a small strip of road that we on only one cracking with a tongue, mind you. So they get like extremely close to me, and then they start blowing uh, the horn, bump, 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 and I'm just like, all right, let me get out there. Maybe they trying to leave. So I proceed to leave the driveway, think that I'm in his way, and he attempts to like swerve around me and like encode me in the neighborhood. So he tried to he swerved the trash cans. Uh, like I said, it's a one, it's a one, it's a one. 
the smallest strip of roads, the only one back at the time. So he had to swerve around me, swerve through a few trash cans. He tried to cut me off, but like my instincts instantly kick in. I I, I kind of like noticed everything that was going on, and I swerve around him and like prevent him from closing in the neighborhood. So I proceed to drive down about two or three houses, and I noticed this other gentleman in the middle of the street pointing a gun in my window and like doing his hand motion to try to get me to stop or whatever. So I'm just like looking, everything still like going through all my motions and process everything. I'm just shaking my head, no. Like, and I hide behind my steering wheel just in case he tried to start shooting. Like, I have some type of invitation. So I swerved around him as well. He started firing shots all the way to the back of my van. There was, uh, like, just hitting everything behind me. Like, by the grace of God, they didn't hit me, though. So I'm just, like, decking, dodging, hoping, like, bullets don't hit me. I finally, uh, like, get towards the end of the street, and one of my managers actually called me, and she was just, like, trying to get an update on my status because I was, uh, I usually do, like, long shifts that day. But in, in that process, I was just telling her, like, some people were chasing me and shooting at me and stuff like that. Because after the shooting, when I'm heading towards the end of the street, the, the guy who was actually shooting at me hopped in the truck with the guy who tried to close me in the neighborhood. So I told her that they were shooting at me, and she basically just like, are they shooting at you? Like, she just confirming what I said. And I was like, yes, ma'am. And she was like, get back to the station as fast as you can. So after this... I looked behind me and I noticed that they still chasing me. I'm still in fight or flight mode anyway because I wasn't like going to stop after that like they just happened to me. But I noticed that they still chasing me. After the original shoot, they got they proceeded to chase me uh, throughout the city and it was basically like a I think it was like a seven minute drive out the city. They just behind me the whole time, but it was uh, everything was in my favor that day. All the lights was like basically turn right lights, so you can turn right on red. So I, I was I was basically still speeding through those lights. All the lights was like in my favor and stuff. I finally get to I finally get to the highway and they I see them turning off. So if I'm going back down the highway because this place is like an hour away from where I work, if I didn't mention. So I get back down the highway, ten or fifteen minutes down the road and I call my uh like my head manager and I tell him like what just happened to me and stuff like that. And uh it was like like I said, it was later in the day, so I'm pretty sure he wasn't at work, but he was just like, All right, we'll call them tomorrow, uh we'll call the police tomorrow and get it handled and I'm just thinking in my head, like if I if I wait to call the police, they're gonna ask me why, why did you wait? Like, this is, this on this series, yeah. it's not the type of thing you wait for. So, I ended up, like, just taking it upon myself. I just got out the phone him. I took it upon myself to actually call the police and file a report. And as I'm, uh, like, telling the, the dispatch that I, I finally reached, uh, what's going on, he basically asked me, hey, were you just in this neighborhood? And I'm like, yes, I was. He said, he told me that, uh, they had just received a call about a suspicious person being in the neighborhood. So I just replied, like, no, sir, I was with FedEx. I wasn't being suspicious. I was just doing my job. And I proceeded to tell him, like, you know, all the stuff that they had just tried to do to me, like how they just tried to chase me down and shoot me and all of that stuff. And he basically just, like, cut me off being story and told me to, uh, to save it for tomorrow. He's going to tell the supervisor. And basically, that's, that's all that happened. And like, I had to go back to the station and file a report to them, of course. And then, like, the following day, we ended up going to the police station. And I had to... Follow report to them then. And I had to deal with, like, three, di- three, three different officers. But the first officer, he basically just took my statement down and wrote it down for me. And, like, while I'm telling him the story was going on, he did my story wrong, like, two to three times, maybe more. And he basically just, like, so this is what happened? And he just, like, no, sir, this is what happened. Do that about two or three times, and he finally did it right. And it was the second officer in the room listening to us, you know, converting back and forth. And, like, while, while I was in the process of it, 
he just like stopped the stopped the uh, questioning process. He asked me, he was like, I'm gonna play you devil's advocate for a second. We usually don't have trouble like that neighborhood, so did you do anything to make them think you were suspicious? And I'm just Stop it. Was, like, it. like I, I, I I promise. And then, then like for some reason this <laughs> is the part that I remember I remember the most out of that whole situation. Because it's like the most disrespectful question you could have asked me. Like I just hit for this experience and then, you know, you wanna ask me like how did I how did, what did I do to cause the type thing versus the actual right. people who took it upon themselves to try to commit a crime against me. And what and what I didn't uh and then like the all right, so after that, the third officer uh was actually a detective who got me to write the statement down in my own words. After I wrote my statement down in my own words, you know, they proceeded uh to take me back to the house to try to identify the people. We went to the first house where the white pickup truck came from and uh they they like they got their identities and stuff like that, but he wasn't the 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 guy wasn't home. And by the way, this was uh this was the dad, I believe, uh Gregory Case. This was this was the dad who was in the white pickup truck. And I didn't know who they was at the time, but they actually had called in, like I said, filed for a suspicious person. What I what I did mention before is also that the dispatcher had informed me that even though they filed for a suspicious person, they they never told him that they actually shot at me and chased me out of the city. They just they just and somebody suspicious in the neighborhood, they was probably doing this and third, but they never called and told me that they started chasing out the city type man or shiny. So I put on um, who who he was. We go to the, the house of the son, which is Brandon case. Um and basically they started questioning whoever was there found out they found out where he worked and stuff like that and then they started looking for bullets in the spot that I told them that he had shot at me at. And they said they couldn't find any bullets, but they, they tried to emphasize to me that they was doing their job. The officer, the, the taker came up to me, he was like, so you see that we're doing our job, you see we doing this, right? And I was just like, why, you know, why are you emphasizing it to me? That's what y'all supposed to do, type thing. But after that, he asked me, like, you know, if you if you want to uh, get out and help us look for bullets, you can. And I was, no, I was like, <clears throat> I was kind of, like, doubtful, but I, I, did, I did get out and, like, help them look for it. It was just like, oh, no, it was a weird type of thing. After that, we had ended up going to a job and they were trying to like, uh, you know, talk to them and bring them in and get them to turn themselves in. But they never actually physically arrested them. They gave them eight days, in fact, to, you know, turn themselves in. They turned themselves in when they wanted to. And when they did, they didn't even spend an hour in jail. So we basically had to, you know, protest for up to almost a year after that, nine months to be exact. I had to go down and do all type of other things just to get the case moving forward before a long time. It wasn't moving forward. Nobody was taking it serious. Like, even when I went in and talked to the, the, the three officers the first time, they, they were like, they wasn't even taking it serious. Like, I didn't even want to be there. So I felt like they wasn't going to hear my story. That's all a bit. And if anybody doesn't know why my mom is here, she's the one who actually heard my story go, uh, you know, kind of borrow and start bringing attention to it because I told her what happened. When it happened, and she just, you know, posted about it, and it kind of took, like, a life of its own. But that's basically everything. You answered all of my questions. I didn't have to ask you a single one. You clearly have been telling this story for for a minute. I do in in the last couple of minutes. Um, I do I do I want to hear from you, Mom. You know, Sharon McClendon. Most most of the mothers that I speak to are not as lucky that their sons are not sitting next to them anymore. Um, in your own son's word, everything was in his favor that day. I'm a black mother. Um, I I I I I wonder if you could just walk us through what it was like when you got that call or or when you found out what happened to your baby, and what fire lit up in you to 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 start the charge uh, for justice for your child. Well, 
Uh, hello, y'all. This is uh, I am Sharon McClendon. Uh, I am the Monetary of Mall. Um, when I got the call, I initially thought it was a joke. I thought it was a joke. And he kept on informing me, like, Mom, I really did get shot. And he, he sent me over the pictures. And that's when uh, reality actually kicked in that, okay, it really did happen. Um, at first, I, I had to sit down and, you know, just actually think about, like, these people literally just tried to take away my son. They just tried to, you know, do him like Omar Aubrey, except that, you know, he didn't get killed. He made it out. And when it when it really hit me, it bothered me. So I, I had to make a Facebook post because I'm, I'm pretty popular on Facebook. So I made the post, and I did not really expect it to go viral, but it did. It did go viral. And at that point, um, we wasn't getting any... Uh, any help from the police is we wasn't uh, they was covering up the story um and a lot of the cover-up came from uh, brandon and gregory case having family members work for the police station they had a cousin who actually was the, the leading investigator and they also had another cousin who was um who is now the assistant chief of police um so that that is where it actually um started not getting the attention it needed. So I had to just, I had to do what I had to do as a mom to actually get um, his case, you know, to go farther. So that's And the case is the going f further, yes. right? You all have court this Monday, and Brother Marquell has put out the call for court support. That's actually how I found my way to you. Um, so mm -hmm. this, this Monday morning in Brookhaven, Mississippi, May 8th, uh, you got you all are going yeah. back to court. We will continue to track this case. I hope you will come back on the show again. Um, yeah, we will definitely be watching what happens in Brookhaven, Mississippi, and Demonterio. We are so glad that you are still with us. Thank you both for joining me this morning. All right, thank you. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>